I wish you guys nothing but best. The ceiling is the roof. Let's make it happen. Let's keep moving forward. Submitted it and I rejected it out yeah. with, with a matumbo. <laughs> Finger no, no, no. wag. Not only did you block it, you let him know about it. Mm-hmm. We didn't even haze him the first time, maybe because we were just so worried about getting the podcast up and going. That was the first episode. Right? It was the first episode, which what a way to to open the thing up. But with uh, Mark Followell, play-by-play voice of the Dallas Mavericks, television play-by-play voice of the Dallas Mavericks. But what we've started doing, Mark is uh, asking each guest on our guest-centric podcast what exactly the phrase, the ceiling is the roof, means to you. My first question is, we don't do an intro, like a musical intro or musical interlude to start the podcast? It just kind of starts? We or? do. It's, oh, it's edited okay. afterwards. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it's the Man, media podcast. You guys are, well, but a lot of podcasts don't do that. They do yeah. the music and then start the recording and it's like uh, a big, like, big setup and all that kind of stuff. You can Man, mess more like, stuff up that way. Yeah, we just jumped right into it. Yeah. And uh, I like that. So the, the phrase, the ceiling is the roof. Uh-huh. Do you know where it came from? And then secondly, <sighs> if, if someone said that to you, would you have any interpretation of it? Uh, I do have I, I, on the spot. I can't remember where it came from, but I've heard, I've heard, I, I had heard it before. You guys brought it up. It uh, was like a, I don't know, like a Jackie Chan movie or <laughs> something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Maybe I just Dave Chappelle's on my mind because of the Maxi Cleaver uh, duck this week. Maybe the, that's yeah, what the it prince. is. Yeah, yeah the, the game blouses. It would, it would be a good Dave Chappelle bit. It would be pretty funny, but. What's better is that it's real. It's 100% real. There's no staged uh, Comedy Central production team Man, behind this. I feel this. like there would have been. <laughs> no. Okay, what is it? So it's from a football pep rally at the University of North Carolina <laughs> in which Larry Fedora, then head coach, is just getting everybody real jazzed up about the upcoming football season and we're opening some new uh, you know, buildings where people can lift them weights and all that kind of stuff. And then Michael Jordan comes in. And uh, Jordan is clearly just right off the golf course, yeah. if you know what I mean. And uh, he <laughs> says, uh, this is great. Um, let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. The ceiling is the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I wish y'all nothing but best. <laughs> let's make it Let's happen. make it happen. <laughs> that was his entire contribution to this pep rally. Wow. <laughs> was... Uh, let's keep moving forward. The ceiling is the roof. I wish y'all nothing but best. Let's make it happen. <laughs> and uh, so that's where it, that's the origins as I know it. Well, it would mean to me, even not hearing that story behind it, I would have said that the ceiling is the roof of, is one way of saying that you have really high expectations and uh, high growth potential, but there is a limit to it. That's what uh, I would have thought that was just – that would be a really weird metaphor to want to try to express to somebody, hey, you can do a lot, but you do have well, just, like just – there much. isn't like a level where you're going to top out. Well, to yeah. be fair in sports, I guess you can only be number one. There's no number zero. So there is really yeah. a hard cap on how good you can be. That's a good point. You can only be the best. You can't be it's, better than the best. We can live up to our 
expectations, but no further. They're they're vaunted ceilings, though. They're like way because yeah. you like control vault, vaulted ceilings, vaulted, vaulted yeah. ceilings, and yes. va- yeah. the vaunted. <laughs> it's like it's a new style. We're talking about. It's a new style we're working in, but yeah. So I think you decide what's the roof, but the ceiling is as high as you as the roof will go. Yeah. So whatever you decide, your own limitations are. That's what you're living by. That's beautiful, actually. Man, that it's very deep, isn't it? God, that is – that's beautiful. It's you weren't expecting this, were you? I was not expecting <laughs> that, and I have to say that that is – man, that's very profound. I know. Very profound. Most things we come up with on this podcast are <laughs> – Yeah, I would say. Now, what is uh, what is I wish y'all nothing but best mean to you? <laughs> I wish y'all nothing but best. I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Let's do it. Let's keep moving forward. <laughs> He was. He clearly got about 36 holes in that day and just came right off the course and went into this pep rally, and they were like, here's a microphone, Michael Jordan. I don't know. Say something. Yeah, do something. Say something inspirational. Encourage the people. So. I mean, if he was as uh, fresh off the course, as mm-hmm. you'd say, as he was, then it's really good that it, it went that direction and not – I feel like that situation could have gone down about 15 different He's ways. He's still a pro's it. pro. Yeah. I mean, even in his sleep – if you walk up to to MJ and you're like, hey, man, give me a minute on whatever. I'm sure he gets thrown random questions all right. the time, um, which actually he's kind of a bit reclusive uh, in his later age. Like, I don't feel like Jordan does a ton of stuff because no. he doesn't have to. I mean, isn't, isn't that the goal? He just owns just the to, Hornets. Yeah. Just to yeah. get important and rich enough where no one really bothers you all the time. <laughs> That's the main goal, right? That is the ultimate ceiling is the roof right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my... That's my expectation for myself <laughs> that I can live up to. So, I want to be richer than all of you, and none of you bother yes, me. And never have to answer a phone or be bothered by anybody or give a good quote or, you know. Yeah, at all that, that point, stuff. you have hashtag made it. In yeah. all seriousness, I feel like outside of his own basketball ownership, I mean, I, I think that the last time that Mike was really kind of front and center was his Hall of Fame speech, which yeah. I think a lot of people feel like came off as very odd. That was pretty weird. Yeah, for as accomplished as he is, that it still seemed like that there was like all this kind of reminding everybody about how great he was. Uh-huh. And it's like, I, I don't think anybody needs reminding of that, but mm. maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe he does. Maybe, maybe you know, as the years move on and as something gets farther in the rearview mirror, then there are people who will look back, well, what was so great about him? Well, that's one of those weird things, right? Whenever you see your dad or, you know, an older sibling or, you know, your uncle start doing a good old time syndrome, right? Yes, Everything course. was better in my heyday. And you're like, I'm never going to do that whenever I get older. And then you reach like 30-something and you're like, man, Things just aren't as good as they used to be, and you can't, <laughs> and, you can't and you can't stop yourself from doing it. Yep. like it's just such a natural, uh, you know, life cycle type thing. But uh, yeah, I feel like that's what Jordan fell into, and he just wasn't self-aware enough to hold it back. Yeah, he had to like fire off shots at Brian Russell, yeah. and, and just talk. He's yeah. like Brian Russell's just eating dinner. Like, what is going on? <laughs> God Almighty! Yeah, well, you why made am the I, shot. Why am I in this guy's crosshairs again? Yeah. All these guys, it was his a push age, off. they talk about the 90s as if it was the best era of basketball. And considering he was the best in the 90s, it only makes sense that he just talks about himself like he's the best, right? Yeah. If you're going to reminisce, you're starting Go hard. with him. Yeah. Go hard. Go all the way. Yeah. Well, you take know it, what? Take it to 11. I think that we're in a very good era of basketball right now. I love it right now, man. Yeah. I, I love it. And it's not perfect, but nothing ever is. The, I feel like the East is getting more balanced out, so you can't even use that argument of, well, there's only one real conference. Maybe at the top. Yeah, at the top, yeah. 
Honestly, that to me is probably my biggest disappointment, bone of contention with the state of the league and where it is right now. It's really? still conference imbalance. Yeah. And, and not even so much – I mean, look, if it were the other way around and it were the East instead of the West, I would feel the same way. And that is that I, I think the one thing that we should be changing in our league more than anything else is setting it up where the best 16 teams make the playoffs regardless of record. And I, I don't want to hear it about just travel. Makes sense. I, I don't want. Don't tell me about travel. Uh, people travel on charter planes and private planes, and it would be very easy to build in a schedule for a playoff series if an East Coast team had to play a West Coast team. If you had to have Pacific time zone travel to Eastern time zone travel back and forth for a first round series, you could still build in a series where you would play um, Saturday Monday. And then you give them two days to travel, and then you could play Thursday, Sunday. They do that anyway. Or, th- or Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, they do it anyway as it is. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing that you could do, and then the only time, if you wanted to compress it within, within 14 or 15 days, where you would start on one weekend, then a middle weekend, and then the following weekend you would end the series. In other words, where you would go Saturday to Sunday, I think. Um, you would have to have one day in there, and you could do it either when you were, go- when you were going from – East Coast to West Coast between games four and five or games five and six, depending on, you know, who had the home court advantage, you would make that your one time in the series where you built in only one travel day because at least that's a little bit easier in that you're gaining time. You know, so that off day when you go back, you're going to leave on the East Coast at, at noon or whatever time, and you're going to land in the Pacific time zone basically at uh, probably 1.30. Something like that. One thirty, two o'clock, somewhere in there. I just realized yeah. that I think I like traveling west so much because I gain time. Yeah, it's a great thing. Like, you never think about it, and then you're there, and you're like, it's the same time that I took off at, and I'm in <laughs> Vegas. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and I'm in Los Angeles now. This is the best. Yeah. I More mean, hours we, in the day. Not to go into random story again, but you're familiar with uh, Marvin, Marvin Bad News Barnes, right? The ABA player who, uh, you know, had played, I think, with St. Louis, and he went to college at Providence. And he was playing in the NBA, and they were going on a flight from somewhere in the eastern time zone in the Midwest to St. Louis. And it was going to be a situation where they were going to – it was a short enough flight that they were going to leave at 7 o'clock eastern and land at um, 6.56 central time. Mm -hmm. And Marvin Barnes is like, man, bad news ain't getting in no time machine. <laughs> and he was just like he was not going to get on this flight because of it was a seven o'clock flight that was going to land at six fifty eight or something like that. You, you take the train. <laughs> I don't know what the resolution to. That is awesome. Oh my god, that's very similar to a, to something on the internet I saw yesterday where uh, um, the 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 tweet was just can't be mad at a man for something he doesn't know exists, and it was a picture of Offset from the Migos. And they, uh, it was some something they'd done with, like, Pitchfork or something, and the word was monogamy. And he goes, what's that? Because <laughs> 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 can't get mad at a man for something he doesn't know exists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's that's what's, so now we fun. know what happened to Cardi B and Offset. I didn't, <laughs> yes. really, I didn't realize yes. that's what the, what the uh, whole s- That was the problem. Okay. Yeah. Can't yeah. be mad at a man for something he doesn't know exists. So. so, now we were talking about I, – I do really feel, though, that that would be the one thing. I mean, if I were the commissioner for a day, and, and, and I do think we live in a great era but, but of NBA basketball – but the conference disparity to me, and it's not just – it isn't just about the whole idea of – and I, I do have a problem with the fact that 46 win Denver set out of the playoffs last year. And, and so it is frustrating when you're on this side of the bracket and you see uh, three or four teams potentially that might be sitting at home 
and a team with a worse record than all three or four of those teams is going to get in the playoffs of the Eastern Conference. So, so of course, yes, it bothers me that you're going to have a 16-team tournament, but team 19 is getting in and team mm. 16, 17, and 18 are going to have to set out because of a disparity of records. Well, it's yeah. not just the records, uh, too. It's that, conferences. You know, Denver's yeah. playing 50 games yeah, or 50, 52, 52 games against – much better teams. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't like living in a world where San Antonio and Houston are 13 and 14 in the conference, even though it kind of makes me happy, you right. know, as a, as a Mavs person. But you got to play those guys four times. Mm-hmm. Imagine being in the East, and no disrespect to these teams, but you get to play Washington, Brooklyn, Atlanta, mm-hmm. all these teams, Cleveland, four times each. I mean, yep. four times each. Yep. yep. And in the, in the West, you're one, so, you know, your one team with a bad record this year is Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They actually beat the Mavs, which is, you know, at this point, that looks like a pretty bad loss. But you have one team where you're like, okay, this is the game that we're going to win. And in the East, it's like half the teams are 10 games under 500 already. Yeah. Already. Yeah. I think Stein said on the, uh, whatever the Bill Simmons calls this podcast now, it's not the BS Report anymore. I think it's just the Bill Simmons podcast. I think so, yeah. by the ringer. That if, uh, if Kevin Durant goes to the East this summer, we might have to start saying some nice things about that conference because Giannis – Embiid, mm-hmm. Durant will be over there. At least they'll have a – and that's the problem I think you're, you're outlining is the top four or five is fine. Mm-hmm. They're as competitive as anybody. But then the, you know, four through eight on a given season is just hogwash. Barely like, over 500. Yeah, it's just and pathetic. In some, in some cases in recent memory, I mean, teams were <coughs> below 500 in getting in. Yeah, that should never happen. And like, just ever. <laughs> we should just stop the playoffs right there. But the other thing besides changing it where, where you would make sure that the best 16 teams got in is also you would – create better matchups throughout the bracket. You know, you would not you would never have a situation and I'll I'll relate it to a Maverick, you know, Maverick centric example. But the Maverick team with Monte here the first year won forty nine with forty nine and thirty three and that was a that was a good team mm-hmm. that that uh, played San Antonio all the way to seven games, as you guys remember of course in the first round. Imagine what it had been like instead of having to play a an eventual champion San Antonio team in the first round, how we might have felt if the Mavs had played a team on their level that won 50 games, like the team that was just in front of them, Memphis, for example. What if there had been a Mavs-Grizzlies? If that was 8-9 or 7-10 or something along those lines, and that's what you were looking at. And you do make a lot of decisions about your personnel and your franchise and the direction that you want to go based on how far you go in the playoffs. And – and maybe there would be people who would listen who would argue and say, well, what's the difference if you went around as opposed to not? But I do think you make decisions. I mean, your, your fans feel differently. Your evaluation of players is different. Your evaluation of coaches is different. I think that, uh, you know, much like, much like I've heard Joel Klatt argue with, about college football and say, you know, these rankings do matter, even the ones that are coming out early in the season and the middle of the season, is because that's a perception about the level that your program is at because you're facing teams that are ranked. So... So for a lot of reasons, and I, and I just I, I, I can't get my head around the fact that we're still making 2018 decisions based on the idea of geography is what is costing teams a chance to be in or be out or be able to have as much success as possible, that that's what's separating us from the thing that I think would be best for the entire league and for the people watching it is yeah, I mean, let's have the best matchups and, and let's not have uh, 58-win Eastern Conference number one seed playing 39 win Eastern Conference number eight seed. I just I don't think that's good for the game. Well, and it permeates every layer of an organization, like what division you're in, who mm-hmm. you're playing against every day. I remember back in the day whenever Peyton Manning was with the Colts, uh, I think it was Charlie Casserly was the uh, GM with the Texans, and they were explaining why they drafted Mario Williams. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, i got to chase Peyton Manning around twice a year. Right. And – 
that's the reality of being a Houston Texan right now. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and it's something you're you okay. So you made the improper decision overall on the whole because of the situation that the structure of the league has put you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know that's an extreme example. In the NBA, it's probably not as stark in terms of actual players that you sign, but it might be. But well, okay. But think about how bass backwards this is mm-hmm. that. There will be a team that, that could win 38 games on any given season, the eighth, eighth seed in the East. I mean, sometimes they're over 500 or right at 500. But, but you know, that there are seventh and eighth seeds that are 39 or 40 or 41 win teams, and those teams will make the playoffs. And then a 46-win Denver last year, for example, a 48-win Phoenix team missed the playoffs on that year that the Mavs won 49, if you want to go back five years. That team is then in the lottery mm-hmm. and is drafting in a better place and has, albeit a pretty minor chance, but it has at least a small mathematical chance of jumping from that 14 or 13 spot all the way up into the top three. And then this team that's at 38 or 39 wins that theoretically could use more help to be a better team, it's in the playoffs and it's locked into its draft spot, which will be, you know, 15 or higher at that point. So I, I just on, – on a lot of levels, it doesn't make sense. Uh, it's not going to change, obviously, anytime soon uh, that I'm aware of. But, but I feel seed. like I need to beat the drum about it because yeah. it's, it is – since we started this podcast saying that – that the game is in a really good place and let's not get wrapped up in good old days syndrome. That's the thing that is probably is unquestionably for me the highest source and level of frustration about how we do things. The seventh and eighth seed in the East right now are below 500. Orlando at 12 and 13 and yeah. the Charlotte Hornets at 11 and 13. Who's 9, 10, and 11 in the West? 9, 10, 11 in the West is... Anthony Davis is in there probably? Yeah. Kings are 12 and 11 at and ninth. Wow. And the Timberwolves are 13 and 12 at 10, and then Utah's 13 and 13. Timberwolves are over 500, and they're New Orleans is 13 and 13. So nine through 12 in the West is 500 or better. Yeah, and six and seven and eight are below 500 in the East. I'm sorry, man, that's messed up. Yeah, there's no way that Houston and San Antonio don't win 45 at least in the East, playing an East schedule. Yeah, completely agree. Before we get too far into this, and everyone, uh, you know, pauses as they get home for their commute, I wanted to plug two things real quick. On the 20th. Of this here month, December, we're going to do a, uh, a live podcast at a watch party downtown at Christie's off McKinney. Uh, me, Jake, Bobby, and Skin. And if you want to join us, you are more than invited. I don't want to put you on the spot. That's yeah, the 20th, thank you. That's the game. That's the Clipper TNT 20th, game. Yes, Clippers yeah. TNT game. So we're going to do a live podcast uh, like 8 to 9 and then, you know, start the watch party after that. Okay. Um, it was pretty easy for us to tag along onto the watch party. Yeah. Um, and most people might be thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't followable there? But because that's a TNT game, yeah. Yeah. that is not broadcast local. Rare opportunity to watch a Mavs game with Mark Followell if he if he, choo- if, if he, he chooses. chooses. No pressure. If yeah, he no wants pressure. To. Well, you know what? That day, I'm actually working that day for Fox Sports Southwest. That is championship weekend at AT&T Stadium. So Ooh, the, for the first wow, time okay. in forever. Are you calling the game? I'm doing a couple of high school football. That's awesome. Yeah, yep. Really? For the first time in forever. Those are fun, awesome. man. It's a lot of fun. Really looking Those forward to it. Those are fun. I did an entire day a couple of years ago over the ticket. Kind yep. of took over the radio broadcast mm-hmm. of them, and it was – it's real fun, man. Yeah. It's, it's a good it's time. It's just one game right after the other, right? Yeah. For four days. Wow. Yes. Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And That's awesome. so on yeah. Thursday, I'm doing a couple of games. Um, the 2A Division One 
and 3A Division II championships. Okay. So uh, might see the, New- the Newton Eagles of East Texas crowned again <laughs> as 3A Division II champions. Is 3A like Argyle, or did they move up to 4A when the 6A thing happened? Uh, I, I covered high school football Argy- for a minute back in like 2012, 2013. I think Argyle is 3A Division One. Division One. okay. Yeah, 3A Division One, I think. Gotcha, but, okay. But, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. They're, they're not as much on my radar because of, of – just following other things, following the brackets that I'm covering. So, gotcha. Yeah. Well, okay. everybody except Mark Followell is invited yep. formally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, not, thank you. you're not invited anymore. I'm invited, if, and if I might be able to make it. Depends on how late the uh, the 3A Division Two Championship. But game then you're goes. hopping on a plane because you got to be you got to report for duty in not until but not until Friday night. Not until Friday night. Yeah, oh, the okay. game Saturday Skin, night. Skin's gotcha. got the okay. same. He's doing something anyway. He has to jet pretty quick afterwards too. But. Uh, we'll You're be a busy there. man, Mark Followell. We'll entertain you. It's a, uh, a super edition of Numbers on the Board and the four-pointer and ceiling in the roof. We'll have to make a name for it, but uh, Super Pod. Um, the 20th at Christie's off McKinney in Dallas, Texas at a Mavs watch party. That's a 9.30 tip for a Clippers matchup. It's going to be a big dub. In Staples. Big dub that yeah, night. Coming. Which we match up pretty well against the Clippers, we learned. Uh, was it this week? This week's so long. That's last Sunday. week. Yeah, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sunday. Sunday. Um, I don't like Sunday games, by the way. It makes my le- my week feel like it's like 10 days already. It, it um, does. It is weird. Yeah. And then, okay, if you're listening to this today or tomorrow, uh, Friday or Saturday, the, uh, the 7th or the 8th, the feature presentation for tomorrow's Maverick game, you know, usually they'll throw on a uh, – you know, a well delivers uh, Over, Cash Overwatch, Roy. Overwatch Bop, White, uh, white yeah. Mavs can jump. Yeah, they did uh, a couple of Luca videos already. Uh, Bohemian or Slovenian Rhapsody. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was a great one. That, that was, was such that was a fantastic. Good one. They did. They actually used my. Uh, now that's what I call Mavericks. The one oh, where yeah. they're singing '90s tunes. Um, but tomorrow on the eighth, uh, 5 p.m. tip. By the way, early, early deal. Um, and get there even earlier for party in the plaza, which is kind of inside now. But I- NBA Europe broadcast. Yeah. Yep. NBA Europe's on the broadcast, so that's why it's early. But at the two-minute, basically two-minute timeout in the second quarter, kind around there, some, some, some time. The feature presentation will be the great Isaac Lee of the Ringer singing Hallelujah. Wow. <laughs> in the lower bowl with Jason Gallagher <laughs> on site. Wow. Um, so it's going to be special. Wow. We, that came together real quick. We've been literally texting or emailing about it for the last, I don't know, 16 hours Mm -hmm. trying to get them on the scene and get all the, you know, the appropriate documents approved and signed and glad to announce Hallelujah in person. Big news. You heard it here first. Tomorrow at the Mavs game, um, versus them Rockets. Um, it's going to be awesome. You'll get to see it afterwards, obviously, because we'll shoot it on, uh, on video, and hopefully the guys get to uh, – oh, actually, he's got that approved too. They'll get to meet up with Luca a little bit after the game. Good. And get his re- reaction of it. But uh, it's going to be awesome, man. Really excited about it. That's cool. I like That's when really a plane awesome. comes together. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, so excited about that. So, anyway, yeah. back, to, back to the fun. Yeah, the Mavs have become the Internet's dream team. We are. That we happened are, quick. It happened quick. Uh, yeah. Okay. We are Internet spicy. So, Follower was on with us. October, I don't know. Had they even played a preseason game at the, at the point that we recorded the first episode remember. of this? Yeah. I don't think so. I think we did preseason 20 questions leading up to the season. Leading up to the yeah. Beijing yeah. Ducks game. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's been a minute since you've, since you've been on with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and way back then, we talked about starting the season strong, mm-hmm. right? You got, <laughs> you got Phoenix. You got uh, Chicago, Minnesota, Atlanta. 
Those are your first yeah, four you can, games. Yeah, you can beat well, those Suns and those Hawks. Yeah. Those are the layups. Yeah, so, and we thought, all right, well, they've been 4-17. and 17, They've been 2-13. and 13. The idea it's being, been, yeah, the, the idea being that if, if Rick is going to say on media day to us, on our streamed interview for, for Mavs.com and for Mavs Twitter, that if we're going to be, the, the goal for the season being, it would be great if we could play meaningful games in March. Um, and I thought that was a very, I thought that was a very, good manage expectations sort of goal. Uh, so the idea being is your season can't be over before it begins, which is 4-17 and 2-14 and, and 14 kind of starts will do that. Mm. Yeah. So here we are on uh, Friday, November 2nd, I believe it was a Friday game. Uh, New York Knicks come to town. Mike and I are talking earlier that day thinking, all right, well, the Mavs are 2-6. and six. You know, the, this is a get-right game for them. This is a chance for them to just sort of relax and, and regain their form. Well, the Knicks hand them like a 15-point loss, yeah. and the Mavs are two. Alonzo Trier, and the Mavs are two and seven, and they have a long time to think about it because they were off on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So three full days of panic mode. You got DeAndre rebound gate with Luca. Mm-hmm. You got uh, you got people people <laughs> reporting on arguments in the locker room and uh-huh. uh, things that may or may not a be GM true. GM talked to a player, yeah, Bobby, but don't let. Don't let tweets get in the way of facts or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, okay, okay, coach. All right, yeah, so so at that point, after that game, you're thinking. I even turned to Mike after that game. Whenever we're walking in the tunnel, I'm like, I can't do another another 24 win season. Yeah, he like, said, this push me off the roof. I this think can't happen, man. Yeah, I said the ceiling is the roof <laughs> and the roof is the floor because I'm about to fall off. <laughs> and, Throw me off. But lo and behold, something changes. And next thing you know, you wake up three weeks later, four weeks later, and the Mavs are over 500. Now, I, I can't say that I expected them to start off 2-7, and seven, but I also can't say I expected them to win eight of their next ten. Sure, of course. So I kind of thought it would almost happen in reverse. You got easier games at the beginning. Then you got a difficult stretch of schedule. And the Mavs have kind of uh, – they're like a good team now. <laughs> the, the – you know, what happened to me as I kind of reflect back on it just from a schedule standpoint is that – um, this little run they're in right now, this was a – when we talked, we, we, we broke it down, remember, on that first podcast, up to Thanksgiving, you know, you felt like you had a lot of, you know, non-playoff teams from last year. Not bad mm-hmm. teams, but just teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. And so that, that was a chance for you to, to get off on a good foot. So five playoff teams in October, nine in November. Yeah. Of the – what, 21 games they had? Mm-hmm. I This from our preseason show that we did when the schedule dropped. I yeah, have all these nerd notes. nerd notes. Sure, sure. Got pulled up. The, uh, you know, the thing that has happened is that this Thanksgiving, this post-two-week Thanksgiving run, where they are now, I believe they're 4-2 and two since uh, Boston, Houston, the Clippers, Portland. Yeah, and they've lost to, to the Lakers in New Orleans. Yep. So they're 4-2 and two, mm-hmm. starting with the Boston game post-Thanksgiving. Um that, to me, I told you guys, that, and, and then counting tomorrow night's Houston game, that that's a seven-game run that I thought was going to be really hard. Then you would have a little week there where it was the Hawks, the Magic, and the Magic are better than we, a little better than we thought. The Kings are quite a bit better than we thought. Uh, you can't go out to Phoenix and lose again this upcoming that week. That is second yeah, night of back-to-back. You got to yeah, you you take care of business. So, so just I did before the year one of the, one of the dumbest things that you could do which is look at an 82-game NBA schedule. I wasn't, like, writing down WLs and all that through the whole schedule, but I was kind of, like, I wasn't going quite that deep into it, but I was looking at stretches and saying, okay, well, you should be able to win X amount of these games, X amount of these, this time, X amount of this little window of time, and, 
And, and again, that's really silly to do. And I would tell anybody who, like, set, suggested that to me, it's like, you know, I think I'm going to look at the schedule and break it down that way. I said, well, that's foolish. But I went ahead and did it anyway, um, which was really it's foolish. It's fun to be a fool sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that they, when, when they get ready to go on this 9 of 11 on the road, starting with Denver on the road on the 18th, uh, that's that. That'll be game twenty nine, and I thought if they could make it through the first twenty eight games of the year at five hundred on the nose, that that would put them in a position where they would probably take a step back during that next stretch of schedule, but then they would still be in a place where I thought they would be able to kind of right themselves in the time after that and be able to be in that play meaningful games in March place. And they're kind of, to be honest with you, I mean, they might be a game or two ahead of where I kind of thought they would be right now based on this silly idea of let me look at the schedule and kind of, you know, in certain segments think I think they're going to win this many games or that many games or whatever. So they're maybe a game or two, and depending on how the rest of the week plays out um, up through that Sunday game against Sacramento, they could be a game or two ahead of where I thought was a reasonable expectation for them to be through 28 games. So I like it. It's, it's happened strangely. It hasn't happened exactly in the path I expected, which is why going and looking at segments of the schedule and predicting wins and losses is a really foolish thing to do. I mean, two and seven and seven and two real quick was yeah. something. I was like, okay, I didn't know you had that in you. But mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to play that bi- uh, bipolar, then I guess do it recently. Be, be positive right now. And the home, the home at court advantage, whatever you want to call it, whatever they're doing, whenever they walk into that arena is mm-hmm. crazy right now. This might be a bit of an oversimplification. Um, I, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons behind it. There's no one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter answer to this. I would point out, and you would have to – I meant to do this research today, and I will have it for the broadcast tomorrow night. Um, look at how many home games they've played where they've had two-plus days off. And so that's rest and practice time to hone in on fixing mistakes. And then they've played – 11 road games, correct? There were two and nine on the road. Yes, so they played 11 exactly. road games. And three of those road games have been second nights of a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you should be able to win some of those. I mean, nobody loses all their second nights of a back-to-back or, or throughout the course of the year. I mean, you've got to win some of those along the way. And obviously they haven't done that yet. So I, that's not the only reason why there's a huge disparity and that you're, you're a well-rested team at home and that's why you're 10-2 and you're in some fatigue situations on the road, and that's why you're 2-9 and nine on the road. Of course, it isn't as simple as that. I would point out that that might account for two or three of the losses and two or three of the wins, and thus that helps at least explain a little bit of the disparity. I think even more than rest and did the team make the playoffs last year, I feel like if you told me what the team you're going to play, like in terms of a road game, if you're – if you're heading into Boston and you give me the data from their previous three games, I feel like I can tell you what's going to happen. Like, whenever we played Boston, we're lucky we played Boston at the right time. Yeah. Because their offense is just – it stinks right now. Like, mm-hmm. they're so out of it. And it might take 40 games to get back into it. And same thing for Houston. Like, it's just catching teams. What did you think playing Golden State before that game? Because I thought after the blow-up happened on mm. Monday night, the over, they played an overtime game against the Clippers. Yeah. Then they played Atlanta at home the next night, and that was the night Draymond was suspended. And then Thursday was their game in Houston where they got their butt kicked. And I thought, well, mm. you know, that was the game where Steve Kerr said, you know, we're hurting, we're, we're banged up physically and we're banged up spiritually right now. And I thought that the, I had a lot of nerves about that game when they came in here because it's like, okay, the blow-up game, the suspension aftermath game, 
Then the next game where there's still like kind of all this weirdness, the table is set for on the front end of a back-to-back for Golden State when they came to play Dallas before they were going to play San Antonio the next night. I thought, man, this might be the night that they're they're the uh, you know they're trying to prove, hey, we're okay. Night. And look, they played a great game. I mean, yeah. it's a heck of a win by the Mavs. I mean, Golden State brought a good game that night. I think we talked about it going into it and looking at some of the lineups they were going to have to roll out now mm-hmm. that they're you know four years into whatever this you know one of the greatest dynasties ever, and these guys make this amount of money, and then you have, you know, replacement-level player. Yeah. They don't have a very linear salary structure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we went into, I, think, <laughs> I think we went into that game, and Bobby and I were talking about it, and we were like, our bench should beat the crap out of them. And if they allow us to, to roll up points against lineups that are like Iguodala, Jarebko, Damian Jones, and mm-hmm. just KD and fill in one other guy, then – you know, we're going we're gonna to put one on them. And it still came down to the, the wire, and they're still talented enough. Yeah. And their bench was actually quite good that game. Yeah, Dam- I was Damian nervous Lee. when Damian Lee was going off. Yes. And Quinn Cook hit some shots. I'm yep. thinking they're yeah. going to win because Damian Lee scores 20 points. Yep. Yeah. And I, mean, I didn't like our – I never like our chances playing against Golden State. I've seen enough uh, traumatic moments against them. Sure. Uh, in this arena, too, at the AAC. But uh, it's uh, the depth thing. That's whenever we kind of noticed that our bench – and being able to roll out nine, ten guys that all bring positive influences to the game on both ends of the court for the most part uh, is just something that a lot of teams don't have. And Houston will be in a little bit better bench situation compared to last week's game when mm-hmm. they come in here for the Saturday evening, December the 8th game, because Chris Paul's back, and so yep. that moves Gordon to the bench. And, uh, you I know, believe Gerald Green is healthy too. He is, and so is Nene. Nene's played three games now where mm-hmm. he had not played before that Maverick game on Wednesday, November 28th. Green is healthy. Uh, they, the the uh, Daniel House saga continues where they brought him in and played him like the first day they signed him at Washington. And they played him, I mean, 25 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. that game, and they played him 25 or 30 minutes against the Mavericks in his second game with the team. And then Wednesday I saw that he had been released. So I'm doing – I, I kind of started doing some of my Houston notes on the plane, uh, you know, even though they still have another game to play, but at least kind of start getting like, okay, you know, who's healthy, who's going to be on the active roster. And then they signed him again yesterday. They yeah. waived him, and then they signed him. To they converted, yeah, they converted Gary Clark to a full contract from a two-way deal, and now they've given Daniel House a two-way contract. Kind of like the Kyle Collinsworth thing yeah. here last year, wherever he was. No one really knew what he, he was like. The ten-day, two-way, and full-time. I think all in the same like week. Yeah. Very confusing. Time. A lot of paperwork. I was, I was very sad that uh, last night. Maybe we're not going to see Isaiah Hartenstein tomorrow night. He got sent, he got sent down. He right? got sent down mm-hmm. to to their. He's on G League assignment now. Yeah, I believe okay. so. Rio Grande Valley. All right, and and Ju Chi is out as well. Man. So I guess it's good for them that Nanny's Brand, back. Because Brandon Knight is getting pretty close to coming back, but yeah. he won't be back for the game tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, they so locked up Gary Clark Jr. for multiple years. Yeah, three, yeah. Year, like three year minimum, three okay. year minimum option. Yeah, I wonder how much team op- yeah team option kind of stuff yeah. is going yeah. on with that. They're yeah. they're pretty fond of that. I think mm-hmm. they did that last year with somebody where it was just minimum with almost no guarantee. Yeah, did that's, you know the, that's the hinky special. Yeah. This is a uh, this is a number. This, I feel like this is a numbers on the boards kind of number. Mm. But uh, Gary Clark is certainly embracing the idea that you need to shoot threes in the NBA. Oh, his three point rate is crazy. Uh, he's taken eighty three shots and seventy six of them threes. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> what a gunner. <laughs> Go get it, Gary. 76 of 83. So that's like 92%, basically. Yeah. 91%, 92% of his wow. shots are threes. What a, what a simplified game. You just run to the other three-point line. You don't go any further. Like You just that's go straight to there. Man. That's did, awesome. Did you guys see Ariza last year shot 600, around 600 attempts? And it was over 400 threes. 
And I don't remember exactly what the number was. We were 430-ish threes or something like Mm -hmm. that. He took about 130 or 140 shots inside the restricted area. And so his between the restricted area and three-point, he took like 36 shots out of 600. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, Houston (laughs) takes four mid-range shots per game. If you define mid-range as restricted area to the three-point line, and that's Mm -hmm. a big area of the floor. That's including paint non-restricted, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, that's correct. God, they take four yeah, or I think that's actually that's that's uh, that's including outside. I'm sorry, four outside the paint and between oh, the three gotcha. point line. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. I think they might take five or six paint non restricted, mm-hmm. but they take four um, from outside the paint to the three point line. But Ariza did do what I said: thirty six shots between the restricted area and the three point line last wow, year. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, but, but as a team, yeah, Houston. I'm sorry, they they, they do take some more shots in the paint. I, I, I didn't mean to like trip you up and mislead you there it's four shots a game between the paint and the three-point line what do you think of the last time we played them it uh they do some weird stuff that i can't explain other than wanting to force action force you to make a decision mm-hmm. like uh last year i think it was later in the season where they just started switching every single thing and they were comfortable with harden and chris paul like getting switched on to bigs and then when we played them last week they're running capella around along the perimeter mm-hmm. Uh, chasing Luca for different possessions. Chasing Dennis. Dennis yeah. and Luca for minutes at a time, and they're just trying to see if you can get the ball down low to DeAndre, if you can make the entry pass. Right. Um, and I can't explain why they do so many things like that. Whenever I, you know, I've watched plenty of playoff series with them now, mm-hmm. uh, with um, Harden there, and, you know, it's changed a little bit with Paul in the fold, but. They do a lot of weird crap that just want, they just want you to prove that you can make that make that pass. And one thing I remember from last week's game is I thought you know we were talking about Daniel House and he had just joined the team a couple of days before and I think he's there were a couple of times where he seemed like he was a little bit unsure of what their schemes were defensively so he didn't realize we're, you know that basically you switch everything when you're in Houston and so you know that left open driving lanes in a couple of cases maybe Lucas Dunk yep. as a matter of fact yep. remember Lucas Dunk in the first mm-hmm. quarter yep. I think that might have been a Daniel House, House. PJ yeah. Tucker looked at him like he was about to kill him after <laughs> yeah. that play wow okay that's <laughs> good very good memory yeah um you know I heard Rick say to, to this point about Houston I don't know that this is their philosophy or anything like that but one time Rick was talking about when George Carl, wherever the last place, oh, I guess Denver, did, did, and then he coached a little bit in Sacramento, Sacramento right? Yeah, yeah, Sacramento. And, and Rick was offering up, uh, you know, a thought on preparing for a game that night against whoever it was, Denver or Sacramento. It was pretty late, though, in George's tenure. And he said that he does, that defensively they do a lot of strange things, like they, they double off the person that you wouldn't expect that they would double team off of, and they do it because they're trying to, like, confuse you and put your offense looking at defensive situations that you surely didn't prepare for. And the thought being is that if you do things like that, that you'll make mistakes because they're just not things that you expected to see. So I can't say that that's what, you know, but but, but Buzz Delic was – did Buzz Delic – I guess George Carl replaced him. I guess they probably – I don't know if they were actually together any in Denver. I guess Buzz Delic was gone as Denver's head coach, and then Michael Cooper came in, and then George Carl replaced him. So I don't know that they crossed over any there, but I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to – because Buzz Delic is back, you know, with the Rockets Mm -hmm. uh, to be an assistant coach. And maybe they're just so bad right now defensively. Maybe it was just like, let's just try some – let's try this philosophy of do goofy stuff with the hopes that, you know, the other team won't know what to do with it. It's like, almost so, like I don't know. Bunning in baseball, like 
I'm just gonna do it a couple times just to prove that your third baseman can't make that play. Yeah. And it's like in football, whenever, and this is from high school, covering high school football for a couple of years and having to go to like every practice for a team for a mm-hmm. whole season, watching these teams that didn't have offensive lines that were like worth a crap that couldn't block anybody. And uh, this offensive coordinator for Arlington Martin that year, he's he's like, we can't block anybody. And I'm like, okay, so why are y'all rushing for 250 yards a game? He goes, well, I pull our guards non-play side a lot of the time. Just to throw the other team's lineback- linebackers off. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so he would just pull. He would just pull the guard. The going out there, <laughs> just running away, and because I mean that's what you read as linebacker. You're looking at the guard. You're like, what, what? is this guy doing? And he would just pull him non-play side. Wow. Just to trick him. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's stuff like that. It's forcing action. It's forcing you to make a decision. It's forcing you to make a bang bang play of swing the ball entry pass. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's funny to me because whenever you solve it, it is so punishing on them. Right, they just get obliterated, like we did to them, you know, a week ago down in Houston. But well, that was a big criticism of Milwaukee in the last couple of years too, is they just used to blitz everything and they they'd overload the strong side of the court and just have their arms going like crazy. They'd trap you off a screen, but if you just make the right pass, then it's just layups. Yeah, if you make the right pass, then you're playing four on three yeah. for you know. 25 to 30 feet of the court. Yeah, and that was a that. big criticism of Jason Kidd is that they, they ranked bottom five in the league, I think, three years in a row because they forced a ton of turnovers, but if they didn't, if you didn't turn it over, then you were getting mm-hmm. like a dunk. Yeah, you kind of look like an uh, octopus there, Bobby. Oh, you did. yeah. If you remember, yeah. If, you remember yeah. if you remember, pregame password yeah. from the last home game. <laughs> Watch, if you're in the arena, Mark, I give him like five words that he has to try and get in during okay. the pregame hit with, okay. uh, with Chris Arnold. Uh, the first one last week was Octopus, and Abracadabra was in there. Wow. Um, I fit them both in. That's mm-hmm. good. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> he, didn't get, he didn't get all five, but, uh, yeah. They they go up in degrees of difficulty. They do. They do. It's I mean, like, I feel like getting Abracadabra into something Well, is, so it, it worked out because, uh, yeah, because Dennis said he went on record saying that they fixed his tooth by magic. Oh, okay. So Chris asked me about what's going Not on with Dennis' tooth. Not an actual scientific said, well, way we, of fixing yeah. a tooth. Yeah, we went back. He, Dennis went back in the room, and they just did some magic. Abracadabra, boom, you got a tooth back. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Too easy. Yeah. So, and I can see when he's building up to one because he starts smirking, and then he's, <laughs> I can see the gears in his head start grinding. And I'm like, here we go. Here's a, here's a password. <laughs> i got to work on my poker face a yeah, little bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, so one thing. I wanted to ask you, because um, I've been trying to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to steal whatever you say and just regurgitate it for about a month. So just be prepared for that. Okay. But um, okay, so there's a lot of hype. I hope it's a salient point around Luca, mm-hmm. where I mean he's meme worthy, he's buzz worthy. I mean every NBA outlet on the planet uh, posts his step backs, yes, his you know circus shots, his behind the back stuff. I mean he's just he's just the dude right now. Um, and there's a lot of hype, and I think he's as good as the coverage, as the attention he's getting. But mm-hmm. what is, what's the signal through the noise? Like, what are we actually seeing from you know, a 19-year-old through 22 game or 23 games now? I guess. What are your? Have you adjusted your expectations? Has anything surprised you? Like, what's, what is he at this point? Well, what surprised me is more scoring. Mm-hmm. More scoring is the thing. The the ability to shoot off the dribble. Um, you know, I looked at his percentages at Real Madrid, and I saw how, you know, you see him shoot, and you feel like, okay, well, mechanically, clearly there's a good shooter there. But then you look at Real Madrid, and you saw the first year that he played when he was only a reserve, you know, wasn't playing a whole lot. The three-point percentage was really good. 
and then the next year he played more, and then it dropped off into kind of an average level. And then last year when he was the focal point of the team from an offensive standpoint, his three-point percentage was below average. I mean, it was what a 31-point-something percent three-point shooter last year at Real Madrid. So my expectation was, well, he'll come here and he won't feel the need to have to take the kind of shots that he must have felt like he had to take at Real Madrid. And so there will be, uh, you know, he'll be really efficient, but the number is going to be, I mean, I never thought he would average more than 15 points a game. I mean, I really thought that was, you know, with, with, with and, and, and maybe Barnes being hurt at the start of the year was part of this, and, and, you know, who knows what is all behind it and if anything changed or if it's just who he is. Uh, and I had a wrong expectation going into it. That just could be just as simple as that, is that just didn't realize what a special player we had on our hands here. But but that's that's for me the biggest surprise is that there's just more ability to uh, create his own shot and a willingness and desire to take that shot. Uh, you know, there was never any like, oh, man, I got to defer because I'm a rookie. I mean, he just came in and it's like, hey, if I need to take the shot at this time of the game, I'm willing to do it. Obviously, if the right basketball play is passed, I'm certainly a more than willing passer, as we know. And I think we've seen that. But the surprising thing for me is the scoring. So you're yeah. calling games on TV, so I, I don't know how often you're checking box scores. I'm sure they're handing you stat sheets and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, the game happens very fast, so sometimes you just don't have time to look and see. Of course. But I'll be sitting there thinking, well, Luca's kind of – he's not really doing much. Like, he's not really having that good of a game. And then I look up after he hits a shot, and he's like, well, he's got 18 points, seven yep. boards, and four assists. I mean, do you catch yourself doing yes, that? Like, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's certainly – it seems to me that, that Luca's – uh, and I know that people can look at game, can look at individual games and say, well, that's not right, Followell. But I think that there are a lot of nights that he has been really good early and really good late. And in the middle, you kind of lose track of what he's doing. And, and of course, you know, some of that is, you know, a lot of the second quarter, you know, he's, he's come out of the game late in the first, and that rest goes well into the second quarter. Um and then, you know, I, there's been some bad third quarters, not just for him, but for the team, you know, collectively this year a few times too. But, but I think that at home he really has a good hit-first mentality, the Golden State game being an example of that. And Boston But the too. Boston game, even though some of, that, some of that was shooting and quite a bit of that was passing, as you mm -hmm. guys recall, because that was the night that it was Point Luca, because Dennis, that was one of the games that Dennis missed. But, but yeah, I, I think that's what I notice. And I do catch myself saying, doing what you're doing, Bobby, and I think part of that is sometimes it's really good early and then it's really good late. And in the middle, you, you don't forget about him, but he's just not as top of mind as much for me sometimes in the middle portions of the game. Uh, but there are games where it starts slow and it just gets better and better as the game unfolds, and that's the sign of a great player. I mean, that's, that's the thing that working with Bob for so many years, he used to say about Dirk is I always say if he doesn't get you sooner, he's going to get you later. And, and look, those guys are not special in that uh, Damian Lillard, I think, is probably one of the most fearsome examples of this player in the league right now. Uh, and I said it on the telecast the other night. Nobody in the league that I can think of off the top of my head, maybe I'm wrong on this, maybe there's somebody that, that somebody could suggest, but I can't think of anybody in the league that if I look up and see them in the middle of the third quarter at two for, ele two for 11, I still think. Uh, and they, then they make a shot. It's like, oh, crap, here there it There was such a sense of here dread. It comes. We were even here talking about that, too. Yeah, I, I, mean, he I was, told you he was going to get 30. Yeah, he was three for 12, and I'm thinking, dude, this guy is having a horrible game. He's about to make five shots in a row. Yeah. Sure enough, he did. Yep. 
Yep. They got to the line almost, a bunch too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he. I mean, but he brought them back in that game. They had no business winning that game. Portland. He's he's just a storyteller. He wants to get them whenever we play up there in a couple weeks. That's yeah. what that's what Lillard does. <laughs> Dirk that's what Lillard kind of does. A, Dirk always seemed like more of a slower starting guy. I mean, he'd have like a ten point first quarter every now and then, but it really seemed like second quarter, third quarter, and then fourth quarter. Of course, him and Jet doing the two man game. Yeah, like Dirk throughout his whole career, it seemed like he kind of got stronger. There's a quote in. The Jordan Rules by Sam Smith about Michael Jordan, obviously, where he says, uh, yeah, 28 points is easy. You just go 7, 7, 7, 7. And you're like, that's, that's easy, huh? Just score seven <laughs> points in easy. every single quarter. Yeah, to be that consistent. But Luca, yeah, like kind of – Luca either starts really slow or really hot. And then yep. in the fourth quarter, he's kind of the same guy every time. And I, I mean, guess if, if all you do is make threes, it's easy to rack up 12, 15 points real quick. I but. mean, going, going into the game, and obviously nothing happened in the game on Wednesday that would change this, but he was the team's leading fourth-quarter scorer, uh, leader in free throws attempted, leader in field goals. Now, there wasn't a big disparity between he and J.J. when it came to fourth-quarter shot attempts, but usage rate, he leads the team in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't wade off into this too much right now because I don't have the recent numbers that I've looked at to back it up, but... I had fun about two weeks or so ago looking at clutch time usage. Skin brought that up on one of our shows. I, I, I texted him a bunch of it, as a matter of yeah. fact. You know, that's, that's he, he, what a he thief. says. He says, you want to know how much of a nerd follow <laughs> and I are? Yeah. And I said, what? And he just he pulls out his phone and reads your guy's text thread. Um, Man, you're even dorkier than me. And let's that's, see. That's not an insult. Either. Well, it was uh, – I, I, and I certainly didn't take it as one. Uh, yeah, what did I text him? Okay, th- this will be, be fun. It was what's, clutch usage rate among what, what's, rookies. What's Lucas' clutch usage rate right now? Do you want me to look it up or are we please. guessing? Yeah, no, please. Okay. I mean, I'm guessing I, – I, it's probably dropped a little bit from this conversation that Skin and I had via text. I bet it's probably 33 or 34. That's okay. my guess on that. I'll uh, so let me look it up right do, now. Do, 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 so I'll, do, I'll tell do. you what I've been telling people whenever they ask about Luca. Yeah, okay. Because I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah. So what I keep coming back to is I'll go look up his numbers on uh, like second spectrum and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so many of his numbers are 90th percentile. Wow. Um, I mean, minutes per game, 90th percentile. Field goals attempted, 90th percentile. Uh, three point attempts, 92nd. Three point percentage, 76th. Um, let's see, free throw attempts a game, 90th percentile, points per game, 90th percentile, assists per game, 90th percentile. So wow. I, I tell them he's a 90th percentile player. Yeah, top 10% of the league guy. Yeah. 19. That's, that's a good observation, man. I like that. He's a 36.9% usage rate in the clutch this season. Man, I thought it had dropped a little bit yeah, lately. Leads all rookies, uh, 67.6 effective field goal percentage. That's second among all rookies. What's Trey Young's? What's Trey uh, Young's Trey Young's usage, usage is 36.2. His so his has dropped. Yeah, his EFG is not very good. Yeah. 25. Well, that's 25. Uh, he's going to be fine. Yeah, that's no, okay. no, he's fine. No, yeah. he really is good. And that's the kind of the the double-edged sword of the, of the Luka trade is that for the – for their entire career, it's going to be like, oh, which one is better? It's going to mm-hmm. be like anytime Luca has a good game, it's going to be adding the Hawks on Twitter, and like you don't have to do that. They can just both. I don't. Be great. Did you guys? You know, this is pretty. This is a long, long time ago for you guys. But did you know what the morning news did in Dirk's rookie year? What's every that? every day, Paul were, Pierce. Yeah, they were running comparisons yeah. with he and Paul Pierce. Every, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. their stats because Paul wow. Pierce had a great rookie year. I mean, Paul, yeah. what I mean, a troll. Yeah. Every, every day, every day, the morning news was like doing a side by side comparison of Paul Pierce and oh. Dirk's stats. They continued doing that in like 2005, 2006, or did they? <laughs> they, they, they eased up. They that? they eased up on that. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They I did. forgot how 
big of a narrative Paul Pierce was in relation to Dirk. It is because no one remembers it now. It's crazy yeah. that he fell that yeah. far to ten. Yeah. Or whatever. I mean, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would never happen. I. I I, I guess we could say it would never happen today, but how many bad picks are there still today? I mean, Donovan yeah. Mitchell was 13. Yeah. I mean, a guy that uh, is in town for the Rockets game was the eighth pick in the draft in 2016. Chris? Marquise Chris, and he is buried. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he is play. barely getting off their be- – I mean, he is a garbage-time player. I mean, he is not a rotation player for them right now. He was yep. in, in, a, in a blowout loss to Utah last night. I mean, Utah killed him, even with Gobert getting ejected three minutes into the game. <laughs> Is that a record? Yeah, is that, what's the fastest Mar- Marquise, Cri- Mar- Mar- Marquise Chris was a DNP coach's decision That's last night. Maybe he was hurt, and I don't. And we didn't realize. I, I it, don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think, think so. Have you ever seen a faster ejection? No, Nelly. Nelly got ejected by Joey Crawford in a Mavs game up in Minnesota about a minute and a half in. Are you kidding? That's me? Yeah. Awesome. Was it was it intentional? Do you think, or was it like a? Well, it was Nelly's last year here, so I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> Did that Gobert walk over to the table and just? <laughs> slap everything <laughs> like it looked like it got people it looked like he hit the people behind the table they were like oh god yeah, he's got what is yeah, that it's like lebron getting rosin in my yeah. eye here when oh. he used to do that yeah, yeah that powder. was hilarious <laughs> it's this one motion just swipes all of it with his 10 foot wingspan it's like, it's like a pterodactyl just came down and hit the water bottle was funny over everybody That's funny. <laughs> it's such a gif man um, I have enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, our stream of consciousness podcast today, but I do want to get back to the Luca thing real quick. Yeah. Okay. Of so, and I and I love stream of consciousness. Uh, that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Luca. Okay. So, clutch usage rate. You told me this year, Bobby is thirty-seven. Thirty-six point nine. Thirty-six point nine. Okay. Leads so, all rookies. Nice. So this to me is one of the things that I think really stands out. Listen to what some other great players were when it comes to clutch time usage rate in their rookie year. Have you heard these, Mike? No, I have not. LeBron, 33, clutch time usage rate. Durant, 31 and 31.5. Iverson. All of 90 pounds of Durant. 27. Clutch time usage rate as a rookie for Iverson, 27. What was that team? Wow. Uh, 96, 97. I mean, what, Stackhouse was on it, right? Stackhouse, Eric Snow, Sixers, or is that – I mean, that was, I don't know if Eric Snow was there yet. I'm trying to think who's getting shots on that team if it's yeah. not Iverson. That's crazy. Kobe, 23-4. Ooh. Lillard, 26-3. Um, Steph, 23. Wow. Uh, he was, you know, I mean, he knows. I mean, he might have missed quite a few games his rookie year because he was Steph, hurt yeah. and still kind of figuring it all out in that <clears> regard. <throat> um, and then Derrick Rose, 27-9 was his usage rate as a, as a rookie. And then wow. remember how impactful – I mean, he was really good in the playoffs. I mean, I know they didn't win in their first-round series, but, I mean, he was very good in that 1-8 series against Boston that year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are great players who, as a rookie, had clutch time usage rates below what Lucas is right now. And obviously there's still 60, you know, something, you know, 60 games to go here to kind of see how this all is going to level out in the end or 59 games to go to see how it's all going to level out. But the only recent rookies who have higher usage rates than, than Luka – Kyrie was 44-8. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Embiid, now remember, his rookie season was only 31 games. I have to feel like this would have normalized had he played a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But in 31 games or whatever his rookie season was, and who knows how many of those were clutch games, his usage rate was 47. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, – Was Kyrie without LeBron for a yeah, season? Yeah, first year, year. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, his first three years. First three. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kyrie was the first or, uh, or – he, he, yeah. he was the first was draft the pick. pick. Yeah. yeah. He was the first draft pick. And the year after LeBron left, um, and, and last Bennett. year, whew, last year uh, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell's clutch time usage rate was forty-two point seven. 
Wow. Damn. Yeah. So, so, here's, so, here's so a, yeah, look at where Luca compares to, I mean, iconic players yeah. and what his clutch time usage rate as a rookie is relative to those players right now. Do you want to see That's some crazy. of them right now? Who's, who's clutch rating, who's clutch usage rating is higher this year between Luca and KD? Luca. Mm. It's KD. Oh. Uh, what about Luca and LeBron? Luca. It is Luca. Yep. Luca wow. and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. It's Luca. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like LeBron. Look, LeBron is, and I love this about him. And some people will use this as an area, an, an, uh, a thing to criticize him about. But LeBron is a willing passer, yep. and a and he loves to make plays for other people. Hmm. I mean, and people will say that to a fault, but I don't think that's the case. I mean, he is – I mean, I know there's – I know it's a weird thing to say on the heels of an article this week about, you know, why people don't want to be caddying yeah. for LeBron, but the guy will pass. I mean, he's a seven-plus assist career guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we we got to figure out – we got to uh, tiger-proof the course on him. Whenever he gets a head of steam and he starts spinning, mm-hmm. we got to figure out a way to stop that. Like some some rule we need hey, to put you in. Gotta, you got to count the steps. You got to count well, the steps. A hater would say every time he spins, he travels. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of haters on the Mavs bench. I'll, just, they, I'll tell you that <laughs> after, after the first game in LA this year, uh-huh. the spin on uh, I think he scored on Barnes with like three minutes left in the game. The Mavs called a timeout. It was about four and a half steps. And, I mean, uh, Rick was Rick almost ate the official whoever that's, that was. That's why dudes of that size don't have that move because they don't have the balance. They don't. They're as nimble as him. Like it's not fair, mm-hmm. right? To be 6'8", 250, 260, and just pirouette like on a dime yeah. and keep your balance and be powerful enough to plow through somebody. Like, it's not supposed to happen. Like, it's like Barkley would do it in slow motion. Mm-hmm. He would kind of glide you and move you around. Right. And LeBron just does it, and then he's at the basket. I'm like, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> Barnes even can do it, but it's just a little more deliberate. Yeah. You know, LeBron just makes it look so smooth. It's insane. Like, I don't know, how, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like, whenever Wes fouled him – um, you know, in the first L.A. game yeah. uh, with the horse collar tackle or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, what did you want him to do? Yeah. He was already across uh, half court. He had momentum. He had a power dribble going. He's just going to get inside the three-point line, spin, and be at the basket. He's going right. to dunk on you at the yes. buzzer. Yes. It's going to be – it's going to be SportsCenter number one play. <laughs> Dunking at the buzzer. Immediately. Yeah, yes. Nobody wants that. It's um, interesting how you talked about Barnes' spin move. I feel like he – it doesn't – I mean, nobody looks as smooth as LeBron does doing it. I think his spin move looks like it's almost kind of – like by the time he's at the basket, there's a real acceleration yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's it's like me, the it's third like, step. Yeah, that he's really gained his momentum when he's in the lane. And uh-huh. there's a real – you know, that he's got a quick jump. And an acceleration into the lane on the last part of that spin. The yeah. Thing, the thing that surprised me a lot about Barnes is that early in his time here, he did a lot of this like sort of running, kind of fading, baby hook shot. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of his game winner against the Clippers was the, kind of that move, mm-hmm. uh, and he's doing that less, but he still does it a lot. And I know he said that that Rick is not a fan of it because he'd rather him go up and try and draw a foul. But yes. Barnes has become pretty good at that shot. I don't know if it counts as in the restricted area because he's usually about five, six feet away whenever he shoots it. But um, that's really kind of like his go-to move. He's not really much of a Euro stepper. He doesn't spend too much. Yeah. It's kind of his go-to thing is that sort of fading runner, sometimes off the glass sort of bank shot. Mm-hmm. I you think and it, he'll do the reverse too. I mean, when he, uh. gets, when he gets you into an ice and he drives on somebody, you know, there's, a, there's usually a jab step. And then, you know, a lot of times I think – not a lot, but I think that 
a fairly noticeable amount of times. I think he likes to go do a reverse, you know, use the rim as a little bit of a protection from a shot blocker and go up and under. I think he's had maybe three of his top five dunks as a Maverick in the last couple weeks. Including against Portland the other night, offensive rebound. Yep. Dude, he has had some yams where I was like, who is that? Yeah. I was like, where did this guy come from? And, I, you know, it's the team's playing better, and it's probably the best, um, you know, one of the better rosters he's played with. So there's not any people watching him, like, whenever he comes down the lane. And he's – but, dude, there's some loud ones where I was like, that was Harrison Barnes. Pretty much all of his dunks this year. Because think about it. I think he's only – I think basketball reference only has him at five dunks this year. Something really? Like that. Wow. Yeah. And all of them are memorable. Yes. yes. All of them were real strong. Cause I remember he's kind of like five. Dirk. Yeah, all of them you remember? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in researching some of the, okay, I start letting my mind wander and mm-hmm. go into, okay, is Luca going to make a all-star team? And, and in looking at some of that, realizing that LeBron didn't make all-stars first year yeah. was insane to me. I mean, there's uh, still enough season and injuries and things like that that could happen. You know, yeah. not that we're, you, know, you don't want it to come that way, but, mm. but you know, there's still a lot of season to go. And, I mean, obviously the numbers have tailed off. I mean, he's had his first couple of clunkers here recently. Yeah. Uh, the two for 13 against L.A. And then everybody kind of had a clunker in New Orleans the other night. And he right. went, went two for eight and scored. He had, he had eight points. Eight points. Eight, seven, yeah. and five. A nice Draymond yeah. Green line. Yeah. yeah. So, really he had, yeah, he's had his two lowest scoring games here in the course of the – you know, the last four games have been two low-scoring games, a a Bobby special. You know, it's like you look up and it's like, oh, he's got 21 points against Portland, mm-hmm. and then the uh, and then the Sunday night game where he didn't play. Did you guys have you guys uh, gone into great detail to break down what was the uh, celebration that he was? I mean, what, oh. was what was the celebration on Dennis's block on Sunday? <laughs> yeah, where he's like like a vampire, like a, like a vampire. Have he, you I think seen? he just screams and he oh, lets yeah. his head do we whatever have, it wants. We have ISO yeah. cam footage of that. Oh, I've yeah, seen, believe me, I've seen lots of ISO cam footage. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen ISO cam footage of that and ISO cam footage of some celebration that DeAndre had uh, yeah. in one of those two oh, games yeah, where he also was like, that's yeah. like the Maxi, invasion of the body snatcher. After yeah. Maxie went Dave Chappelle. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> that was a meme game if there ever was one. Then man. there's the Luca after the dunk in Houston. He's running back down the court. He just turns around and said, hey, who said I can't jump? Who said I can't jump? We yeah. haven't been able to make out what he said to the bench. There's, yeah. no, there's no angle of that that we have, but we do have the who said I can't jump. Yeah. There's dude. also uh, – I also saw, by the way, that I think there's some internet discussion that that somebody's pretty sure that uh, he delivered a pretty s- long string of expletives in Slovenian <laughs> to yeah. Malloy the other night. That mm. is true. Mm. That is true. <laughs> that is true. That is fact. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 learned, yeah. uh, I learned a few Slovenian curse words, or Croatian curse words, I sure. guess. Sure, okay. Uh, thanks to uh, Emma, uh, uh, I don't know her last name, Medin, I think is okay. her last name. She's a Slovenian. She's a big, big Mavs at Luka fan, I guess, mostly, and Mavs right. fan now. And uh, someone asked her, like, you know, is this true? And she posted a couple videos of Kobe saying the same words. Wow. He, he apparently learned them from Vujicic and uh, probably I think Rod Monovich was there for a minute. You know what? And I think so. that uh, I think that Zach Lowe has posted that Jokic taught Fareed some things. Oh, and really? Yeah, <laughs> when, back in the Denver days when Fareed was there. And Fareed, like, screamed a couple of, like, Croatian cuss words after something happened. And the whole bench, like, was going crazy. <laughs> and I mean, you it, can't get so. text for it. And that's the thing, because if you're an official and someone's speaking another language, you can't just automatically give them a tech. You have no idea what they're saying. They could be saying, like, 
hey, pick and roll next time down. You know, like you have mm. no idea what they're saying. Sure, sure. So uh, props to Luca. Yeah, props we need to him Luca. to teach. We need him to teach the other guys a thing or two because right now there are too many techs on this team, man. Everyone they need to relax a little bit. Yeah, it's been some questionable officiating, but if they learn some uh, some Slovenian catchphrases, maybe they can avoid <laughs> they can avoid quick yeah. triggers. Well, yeah. I'm glad to know that uh, that the internet actually didn't lie about something, and mm. it's true that there was a long list of expletives. I mean, that was—I saw footage. I mean, uh, it was Luca, like a five Luca's, times combo. Yeah, Luca's a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, yeah. and he certainly seemed like on that foul. I think it was C.J. McCollum in the corner, right? Evan Turner. Evan Turner. Okay, yeah. thank you, thank you. Just get your hands off him. Yeah. Why are you doing that anyway? Yeah, you, yeah. Anytime you put your hands out in that situation, you're you're possible to get him caught in the cookie jar for sure but that uh yeah that six or seven seconds or five seconds whatever it was left in the half against Portland the other night mm-hmm. that's that's the one it was and I mean he was like staring daggers at Ed Malloy and then like it seemed like a lot of I, I it wasn't slow motion camera to know but a lot of spit was probably coming out as he was like hurling these expletives. there are a lot of there were a lot of P letters in the words that he was saying. A lot of P oh. and a lot of T. Mm. So there's a lot of t- okay. <laughs> yeah. A lot of chance for spit to fly it's, out. It's a tough language anyway. It is. It's really, it is. It's really harsh there's sounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very guttural. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> uh, so one year ago, almost today, uh, we're in Milwaukee, you and me, yeah. on the at, at the the penthouse bar, Mike. Of this hotel oh, in Milwaukee. High rollers, huh? Over, yeah, we were, man. Overlooking construction of their new arena, yeah, I believe. Yeah, at the Fister. Uh, yeah, at the Fister Hotel. Great hotel. Milwaukee, really underrated city, in my opinion. I can see why NBA players Ain't don't like it because it's super cold, but really nice place to go. Yes. L.A. Waukee. Uh, yeah. Algonquin for the good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we were sitting up there, and, and a, we had a long talk about, you know, because at the time it was like. Bobby, Pete, you need to straighten out your life. No, 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 it was, uh, that was peak, uh, tank season on Twitter. That oh was kind of a big thing. And, uh, those were, those were dark days, man. And yeah. We were just talking everybody about would get so mad if you won a game. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. They're not going to go five and 77. Yeah, yeah exactly. This, this and team is, this team is not going to be good, but they're not also going to lose they're 60. And they're not going to lose 60 in a row. Yeah, okay? It's impossible. It's impossible to be that bad. So, uh, we got punished for it too, with dropping down to the fifth pick. Yeah. Their odds were at three. Yeah. Yeah, the Mavs the Mavs almost slipped one by the basketball yeah. gods. They were like, No, you're not that bad. You uh-huh. you gotta you gotta give something else up to get Luca. But uh I it's not really a question so much as an observation. Like it's was I think literally one year ago, mm-hmm. uh maybe a couple days a year and two days, but um things are way different now. Things are way different. Way more way more fun. Everybody kind of enjoys this team. Yeah. Everyone loves Luca. Everyone loves the other guys too. I mean, there's been you know a few hiccups here and there, I guess, along the way. Well, I love look, look. I love the fact that the team is winning and relevant, and the fan base is energized. I mean, those are all great things. I mean, in my job, look, I you know a 24 win season is not easy on the TV crew, um, and so think about how hard it is on the coaches and the players and the guys who are in the trenches fighting those battles night in, night out, but. You know, I think that Rick did this and talking to him some last year is you have to find the small victories and you have to, you know, be really invested in player development and, you know, as a coach, you know, and see, okay, you know, this guy is getting this one thing I'm trying to teach him and he's making strides in these particular areas. So I still enjoyed telling the stories of a Jalen Jones and a Jonathan Motley and, you know, those sorts of things of young guys that were here, a Kyle Collinsworth. I mean, it was still – there was still reward that you could find in doing those aspects of the job. And look, man, I love the Mavs, 
And, I mean, I think anybody who watches the telecast knows that. And nobody has a sense more than me of when the team is good and when the team is not good. However, I mean, I, you know, I don't just like the good players when the team is good. When you put the uniform on, when you're Jameel Warney or, or Collinsworth or Jalen Jones, man, I mean, I'm rooting for your success. Understanding that, obviously, not everybody is going to have success and not everybody is going to be here long term. But everybody has a dream and everybody is pursuing that dream and trying to make it. So I get behind that. You put the Maverick uniform on, man, I get excited for you and get behind that and wherever your success comes from and whatever way we're going to judge that, man, I'm happy for those guys. So, you know, I try to keep as much of a positive attitude as, about, as I could about things last year. I mean, that was a real source, as you know, Bobby, and as you know, Mike, for me, of frustration is that, look, people are going to go out and do their best, and they're not going to lose 60 games in a row. They're going to win some games along the way. They're still going to have a really poor record and be in position to get a really good draft pick. I mean, it was very obvious from very early in the season last year that that's how the season was going to end up unfolding. And, you know, but, but sometimes people aren't patient and can't, you know, see the see the tape of the finish line because there's you know there's still too many bodies around them in the race or whatever I don't know but anyway uh it's you know look no question it's a lot more fun this year I mean I I tried to make it as as uh pleasant and as enjoyable for myself and everybody I work with and everybody hopefully that cared enough to watch last year as we could but look it's it's great to be relevant and it's great to be in the discussion for playoffs even if that's still I think uh you know going to be a difficult to attain goal for this team to get there but but it's you know it's fun realizing that you're seeing the ground floor of potentially something really special and uh, you know and and we're also going to get to see what might be the uh, uh, the denouement if I may use a fancy word wow uh, you know the the final act of you know uh, of an incredible career I mean I don't know if this is going to be Dirk's last season but you know. Uh, when he's missed a big chunk of it and had to go through what he's had to go through to get back, who knows if he's going to have the appetite for it for a 22nd season. And he said things along the way that, you know, about he was – you remember in L.A. when he said somebody asked him about missing that first Laker game at Staples, if he was disappointed because of what a great place it is and the great atmosphere and LeBron playing and all that. And he says, well, you know, we'll be back here and – you know, I'll have another chance to be here. I mean, I'm, what I'm disappointed in is we've missed a place like Toronto where it's a great atmosphere and a great place to play. Um, so when he says things like it that. Seemed, it seemed a little final. Yeah, but that's kind of Dirk too. I mean, I think when he's in a place where he's not playing, he's down. And especially then because you still didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, you know, for the last two or three weeks, we've seen the progress and the lights at the end of the tunnel. So his mood and his spirits are in a lot different place. And now here we are maybe very close to it. You know, not to get people's uh, hopes up too irrationally, but, I mean, I don't think it's very far away. Um, you know, so to be able to see something uh, really special starting and also, you know, to realize that we're saying, you know, potentially goodbye here pretty soon to something really special ending. I mean, there's, there's uh, unique aspects of covering both of those things that, you know, are rewarding, I think. Yeah. No, I, you know, and you guys, I, I, mean, I agree you, with look, everything you said. You guys cover the team. I mean, yeah. it's not like – I mean, I'd cover it in a different way that you do, but, I mean, mm. you're, you're covering it, uh, uh, you know, and you are arguably spending more hours a day, you know, than I am. You know, yeah, at, we, least, at least between games. I mean, I just got to prep for the next one. I don't – you know, right. and I've got some time where I don't – I can get ready for high school football championship games or something mm. like that. You know, I can tell you what I need to tell you about the New Deal Lions in Class 2A. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're real nerds too. Like, we're – I'm just as psyched about Dorian as I am about Luca. Yeah, know? sure. Like I'm, I'm irrational about a lot of these guys, so I, I think it's fun no matter what. Obviously, it's more fun when they're winning. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it's a different experience for me because I mean I would wa- I watched every game for I don't know last five to ten years, but watching yeah. every minute 
and realizing like, okay, I'm going to prep for this game. I'm going to look at what's going on with Houston. And then if the narrative I drew up in my head didn't work out and we lose for some mm-hmm. reason because of this one little weird thing, then I'm going to be, you know, in a bad mood watching replays of the, the loss the next day when I'm cutting something. I would be curious, and I feel like what I'm going to say is maybe going to – I don't want this to taint your response to it. I want you to answer it honestly and forthrightly. But, mm-hmm. but I am curious if working for a team has changed your perspective on things. Because for me, you know, when I say I love the Mavs, I mean, and I think a lot of people will listen to things I say and say, well, you know, follow has got to be loyal to his paycheck. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, <laughs> you know – it's like when you are when you are with and around the guys, and it's, and, and believe me, I'm, I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to position myself as some sort of best buddy of these guys because that certainly isn't the case. I mean, they're in the locker room, and there's a very, you know, there's a, an impenetrable wall for people like us around the team. I mean, you know, we get the interaction, and we get to talk to them and see them in certain ways, but there's still a uh, – uh, a sequestering that happens for them that guys like us are never going to be able to penetrate that. Yeah. Number one, you would say that's accurate, yeah, correct? Right. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, but still, when you're around it, at least on a, a more significant level than anybody else is in our particular case when you work, I think you just get such an appreciation for the depth of which these guys care about it, even though that doesn't mean – caring about it, though, doesn't mean that you're tumping over tables in the locker room after a loss because it's a long season and you have to manage your emotions if you – were punching yourself in the face after every time you lost. I mean, that would kind of be a bad deal, Bobby. You know, you would, would, you'd have a really ugly face at the yeah, end of the year. Yeah, you'd look like ah, Luca. Ah, yeah, you'd look like Luca all the time. <laughs> that would not be good. It wasn't yeah. Beverly this time. It was me. <laughs> yeah. I hit myself in the face. Yeah. But, but you, you realize how much they care, and you also realize, too, you have to work so hard to get to this level as a basketball player. And then you know what else you have to do? You have to work even harder than that to stay at this level. I mean, the amount of uh, mundane, what seems mundane to us, monotonous, over and over again, after practice, oh, I'm going to shoot 200 free throws or 100 threes or do my ball handling drills with Sham or whatever it's going to be. You know, this is the, the or I've got to go over with Jeremy now and do my weightlifting routine or whatever this Tabata workout cardio routine I'm doing because I'm not playing very much and I've got to keep my wind up, so I've got to do this, these things on the treadmill and – you know, you have to work insanely hard to get here. And then you have to work even more insanely hard to stay here and perform and play at a high level. So, mm-hmm. and so if you want to get better, if you want to do the Barnes yeah, thing and the JJ thing yeah. and get better, I mean, you have to work even harder. So that to me has always been, I don't get upset about criticism. My, 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 my reason for, you know, sometimes pushing back at things that people say sometimes is not because, oh, followers just got to be loyal to his paycheck. No, it's because I do see that there's a great deal of energy and dream and desire and work and good days and bad days and sweat. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, I know that's kind of a trite saying, but, I mean, I see all of those things go into it. So my question for you, Mike Marshall, machine host of The Ceiling is the Roof, I mean, what's, what's changed for you? Because that would, I would be really curious. That's the metamorphosis that happened for me early and has just – further entrenched for 20 years of me doing this. Yeah, I mean, my love for the team has been at a 10 since my first Mavs camp Mm -hmm. over, over, you know, junior high summer when I used to go every season. It was like, this is my team. Dirk's my guy. That's how we're riding, like, for now until forever. Mm -hmm. So my love for the team hasn't changed. But even before coming here, working for the Cowboys for a year, Mm -hmm. and those dudes make even less money. And, you know, they're 
sacrificing their bodies and their you know a lot of mental yeah. health yeah. at some point in their life yeah, that's a good point. for this dream so getting that was kind of a crash course for me of okay this is fun and stuff and everybody wants to make money off of you and market you the way that you are but it's these are real lives of people mm-hmm. and to get to this level to just get a tryout to just get in the room for a minute yeah. is so important. That's yeah. like that's like they're achieving it. Like me getting hired for this job is like me making it. Right. Like I feel like I was born, not born to, but at some point in my life, I feel like I was born to tell the story of the Mavericks mm-hmm. to other people who want to view the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that might sound like pompous to people or whatever, but that's honestly what I've been training myself for. Right. I didn't know what the end goal was. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I wanted to do radio. I knew I wanted to do TV. Yeah. But getting to the point where I get to share the team and tell the story of the team to the fans, everybody that watches, is one of the most important things and what I feel like the natural conclusion to where my career was going. So seeing them get to do that, but this is an athletic setting mm-hmm. where you're going out there and perfect example the other night after Maxie's dunk, right? Yeah. I go up to him in the locker room and I go, dude, that was nasty. And he just kind of smiles at me and nods and takes his Invisalign out of his, off his teeth. <laughs> and he starts talking, and he sounds like a frog. He's like, he's like, thanks, man. That was, you know, I was just lucky. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, dude, I'm sick. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, everybody's been sick. Yeah. Like, I was sick the last 10 days before that. And I was just a grumpy SOB and just didn't want to be at work and yeah. just – my head somewhere else because I'm taking pain meds. And he's going out there and he's like playing his ass off yeah. and being great at his job and has one of like the coolest moments of the season. Yep. And then another example is J.J. Barea this year where, as you know me, I'm always looking towards like, okay, what's three months down the road for us? What's this offseason like for right. us? What's next year's draft like for us? Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how I approach things. I'm always trying to look forward, trying to look, okay, well, you make this decision now because in three months it makes sense type of thing. Barea – over the last couple of years, I've just kind of had like a blind spot on J.J. Barea. I see him, and I'm like, he's taking minutes from some young dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want that. I want Dennis to play every single clutch minute he can. And then this season, being with the team, watching that guy mm-hmm. and being around him and seeing the things he does and he goes through and how the, all those other guys just – I mean, he's this tall, but everybody looks up to him. Yeah. Everybody's like – that's the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm riding into battle. I want that little Napoleon guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And just being around him, and I can't take my eyes off him when he's in the game now. Yeah. And for the last two years, I was like, this team's probably not making the playoffs. We need as good a pick as possible. Every minute JJ was in there, I didn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always – when we're in rebuild mode, rebuild mode, I go hard into rebuild mode. Right. You know, like I'm looking at – I'm going to know the top 40 players in the draft. Right. I'm going to know who's a free agent. I'm going to know who your third option free agent is. Right. That's just kind of how I approach NBA off seasons and, and team building. But to to not appreciate guys like Berea for what mm-hmm. they are and see how special he is yep. and realize when Portland comes in here on a random Tuesday night, their fan base is going to go, well, what the hell? J.J. Berea just had a 20-point <laughs> half against us. He must yeah. have gotten lucky. And I'm I'm sitting there going – he does this to everybody yep. every single night. Yep. And you don't see it because it's not, you know, you don't scroll that far down on the box score or you're an ESPN NBA fan, which fine if you are. Yes. But it's – takes Hey, it takes all know, kinds to make the world go around. Yes. Yeah. But you don't dig that deep and you don't watch the minutes that Berea plays mm-hmm. and realize what he does. Every dribble is with purpose. Yeah. And that's super fun to me. That's been the most fun thing to me. I think it's 
kind of getting know getting to know these guys a little bit and seeing that um, for guys like JJ, for Maxi, for Dorian, I mean, those two, the second guys are playing for contracts right now. They're playing yep. for their livelihood. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's a good time for me to be here yep. um, to, to join the team. I picked a really good, really good offseason to yes, come you along. Did. You did. <laughs> but uh, I feel like people that probably started with the franchise, Dirk's rookie year, you know, how lucky they were that they mm -hmm. got to go through that whole thing. Yep. But uh, we're playing well. We've got exciting young dudes that are – and the one of the other fun things is seeing guys like Dorian, like Maxi, that are now 25, and the whole league has looked past them. Yeah. They could be standing right in front of you, and everyone is just looking down the road going, oh, you're 25. You haven't hit yet. Yeah. You know, you're not – I can't play you, Dorian. You're not making enough threes. And that dude just goes maniac this offseason. Right. And it's knocking down 38% of his threes. Same thing for Maxi, who's dude – Dude, that's been you know foot problem, knee problem, this that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even get to the league till he's twenty four. Yeah, had a Lisfranc yeah injury when he really? was in Germany. Is yeah, that what yeah, it was? Yeah, very very for a basketball player. You know, pretty. And that's a much more common football injury. Yeah, but he had a, yeah he had a Lisfranc injury when he was in Germany. Wow. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, whenever you're a step or two removed from it, and you don't, you know, I would go to post game stuff when I worked for the ticket and when I worked yep. for Fox Sports Southwest and Channel Eight and stuff like that. And get minor interactions with these guys and talk to them and have, you know, relationships with you and everybody. Mm -hmm. But being here every day and even last year with the Cowboys, it's just – it's yeah. different. It's You get a different appreciation for sure. it. Sure, sure. And your job, my job, your job, Bobby's job is re trying to relay that sentiment to the fan base. Yes. And bring that to them in a seamless way. Yes. You know? And uh, this is how hard these guys work. This is how much it matters to them. Yeah. This is how fun it can be whenever it's all working. Yep. And so, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. You did. But <laughs> you did. No, I was just curious. <laughs> I mean, there was, you, you answered the question. There's no right or wrong answer to it, obviously. Yeah. It's just, I was just kind of curious. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know I, I guess I didn't realize how deep you were in terms of what you were doing with the Cowboys and getting mm -hmm. a chance. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a whole other story for another time. But, man, getting to watch those guys, you know, you know contracts aren't guaranteed and yeah. physical. Not only you're – in a car crash 20 times on Sunday, basically, uh, when you play in the NFL, but then also the whole aspect of mental health, too. I mean, that's just dude, I mean, like the hard to get your head around that. 25th yeah. through whatever the – how many practice squad guys you get, yeah. uh, five or – 25 through 60 um, on the roster, dude, they don't make that much more money than yeah. you and I. Like, yeah. they're pretty normal guys. And, and the turnover is so high, too. Yes. yes. I mean, it's, it's like every year for the Cowboys, as like last year was for the Mavs, where you have yeah. 25 guys come in in 82 games. And, uh, and, and, and in their case, you know, um, the contract – like I said, the contract isn't guaranteed. And, and yeah. And, and, oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, I got I lost my train of thought for a second. But the funny thing about it is, is every one of them, even knowing what we know now and knowing what you might face in the future, I mean, I think everyone to a man would say, very rarely do you ever say, oh, man, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. And they all would say, yeah. you know, oh, there's, there was, there's still never anything in my life that replaces the feeling of going out there and the adrenaline rush. And Why is Dirk still playing? Yeah. It's that same yeah. thing. Yeah. You know? It's a competition, and I think he loves the camaraderie. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, th I think that's one thing that, that you know, uh, I, I hope that we've done a good enough job over the years of I think of, of relaying is I think Dirk loves the locker room and loves being around the guys and that will be something that uh, you know being a husband and being a father are wonderful things and they're incredible things but being a teammate in the NBA and that uh, unique atmosphere that it is I mean he'll you know that you can't replace it I mean, yeah. he never will yeah and when you don't know somebody on a personal level and you just see them on a screen for most of your life. 
it's it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't get like I've never gotten like starstruck. I think the first time like Roger Staubach came up to the ticket studio, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, he's like, one for me too. Yeah, he's one. That's for me. the guy, and he just walks yeah. straight up to me and shakes my hand. I'm a freaking intern. Like, what does it yeah. matter? You could you could tell me to go piss off somewhere, and <laughs> no one would think twice about it. But of course, uh, you would never do say that to anybody. No, yes. not yeah. not ever. And uh, so I don't I don't really get starstruck when I meet people in person. Yeah. I kind of talk to them as if I think that because th- I think they appreciate that. Yes, of course. You know. Um, and with our minor amount of fame, you being play-by-play, me doing radio, and you realize, like, you talk to people that are, like, P1s yeah. whenever I worked at yep. the ticket, mm-hmm. and how you just want somebody to talk to you normal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. want you don't want to bring up, like, some joke you made last week necessarily. Sure. You don't want you somebody just, to go Chris Farley on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that time? <laughs> Although I, yeah. w- I was going to ask you about yeah. the call whenever Luca made that happen. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was Ingles awesome. And you're just, ah! Yeah, because you were, uh, oh, you went so the Houston game. Call. No, no, Utah, 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 Utah. Uh, sort of that step back forty footer that he hit over Ingles. Oh yeah. wow! Closing out the first in, half. As yeah. it goes in, you just go. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. It was amazing. I, did, I didn't realize I even did that. As yeah. Chris Farley yeah. said, I was. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was that one and the the Kyrie one in Boston was a pretty good, pretty good wild call that I. I don't know if you watched the thing I made. Uh, about all the home games this season, it's I've seen some of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yep. called it's called a fortress, and it's like yep. five minutes long. I've seen, and them. a lot of it is, you know, your calls and remixing the audio of, of them and stuff like that. I appreciate that. that. Yeah, but uh, so I, so I know all the loudest calls you've had just from cataloging the plays. I would. Uh, it's funny you were talking about getting starstruck. I think I would get starstruck if the Undertaker walked in. So. <laughs> what a random. <laughs> yeah, we, we gotta get him on. He's gonna walk in here yeah, one day. <laughs> You're gonna come in here for ceiling is the roof. And yeah, and then all of a sudden the lights are gonna go off, yeah. and then the bell's gonna music. ring, yeah. and then I'll hear the bell oh, ring. It's like, have, oh man, the Undertaker's come. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you must have loved the uh, the Memphis halftime or quarter show. Yes, whenever you were Yeah, yes, I did. I did like that, yeah. <laughs> the only way yeah, I could describe it. was outrageous. <laughs> the only way I could describe it was there's a man inside a bear costume dressed up as the Undertaker. Yeah. He's about to fight another man inside of a costume. <laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah, that was, yep. that was pretty epic. But, yeah, I mean, I guess to wrap up that conversation, there's, there's this, like, this arm's distance you have with these guys. It's like they're characters in a TV show. They are, and, I mean, not to go all, uh, you know, Daryl Morey or Sam Hinkie, and they're they're just integers on a list at some mm-hmm. point, you know, yeah. if you're far enough removed. But I do I do keep a close eye on the cap sheet. I do keep a close sure. eye on the off season. Yeah. Um, but it's it's even weirder now with the relationships you have to have with guys because of their agents, and yeah. you treat a guy right, and people want to come here eventually. You know what I mean? Like if if you're such and such free agent this off season. And you're going, okay, well, my rookie contract didn't go exactly how I thought it was. I still have a lot of potential. I have the option of going these five places. You know what Dallas did? They reformed Dorian Finney-Smith into yeah. whatever he's going to – whatever kind of deal he's going to get this offseason. They turned Aminu into a five-year, $35 yes. million Jay dollar Crowder. player. Jay Crowder. Brandon yeah. Wright. Maxi and Dorian are like the latest one. Yeah. And so you see these real-life relationships in time. Yeah. In time they put into yeah. people and – I would go, yeah, I'll go there. Right. Like, I, you know, L.A. might be more fun. New York, you might think that's your kind of market. But, dude, if you want to make some money, if you're, if you're a bench guy that needs a defined role to make you better and you need good coaching, like, come here. I think Seth Curry was on his way to that, too, Yeah. by yeah. the way. Unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Had he not lost all of last year due to an injury. So. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, 
So that's that's my experience with it. Well, good, man. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I had a great experience doing this. Probably better wrap it up. I gotta. Oh, go I guess check. we're. I guess we're done. With oh, the we're fine. I, I, I gotta go to get me, home and check on the dog. Hour twenty six is like the halfway point. Yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, five hundred minutes. I yeah. forgot about the five hundred minute plan. <laughs> this is a one way <laughs> ticket to death. Follow. You're, yeah. not, you're not stopping until you're dead. Yeah. We've buddy. gone an hour and twenty six minutes. Wow. We have. Yeah. So, Although yeah. the first like minute and a half, it was just kind of BS. Oh well, an hour and twenty four. Oh gosh. Yeah. Man, yeah. Well, yeah. I can't believe we one, we're cutting that short. One thing I'd like to close on, um, if you don't mind taking two more minutes of your time. So Dennis probably not going to play tomorrow night. Probably not, right? Because yeah. the wrist thing, which kind of bums me out. Uh, number one, because I felt like he was finding whatever the next you know definition of Dennis Smith Jr. is mm-hmm. uh, in the immediate future. And everyone, it's so funny if, if Luca and Dennis were taken in the opposite order, mm-hmm. like no one would have this weird. Uh, Dennis has to be a superstar right now mentality. Right. Like if Luca was here and then Dennis came along, we'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Luca has a sidekick. Yeah, Luca's mm-hmm. got a sidekick. And oh, look, and look at him fitting in. He's pushing the pace offensively and he's playing defense. He's in the passing lanes and he's, and he's you know, downhill driving right at the basket. And what an incredible player we have. Right. Um, and I feel like uh, credit to Dennis for what he's done <laughs> last, uh, what, 15 20 games of trying to fit in and finding ways to positively influence the basketball game. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing I think we kind of failed on as a, as a fan base is, okay, well, Dennis was an inefficient, high-usage player last year. That's him. And just assuming that's who that guy is, which right. he's anything but that right now. Correct. He's, he's awesome. And I just wanted to get talk on Dennis before you get out of here because I know you're a big fan and you appreciate what he's done. Yes, and I, what I like about it is that the efficiency has just gone up this year. Um, that the, the field goal percentage, the three-point percentage has gone up. Clearly, he's put in the work to be a better defensive player, um, you know, in terms of whatever kind of film you got to study or just, you know, being more locked in and, you know, scouting reports or whatever it is, uh, just effort, you know, or just, you know, knowledge of the league and knowledge of players and knowledge of their tendencies, all of these things. Yeah, I mean, I love what he's done from a defensive standpoint this year. And I still think that he has room in his game to get back to the point level. I mean, we're not talking about a precipitous drop-off here. We're talking about a guy who's gone from, what, 15-2 to 13-5? Is that what we're talking about from a drop-off standpoint? It's almost to be expected you add – Luca, you add DeAndre. I mean, there's probably there's fewer shots. Yes, of course, for him to get. Yeah. So I have enjoyed watching what he's doing this year. Obviously, I think he's still a work in progress. I mean, Bobby made a great point. We walked in together one day, Mike, and Bobby happened to tell me that hey, tonight's Dennis's 13th game of the year, so this is his 82nd career game. Mm-hmm. And and you know, look, I don't know how much this cost him, but beyond the fact that he's young and only was a one and done guy in college, also. And I, I feel like this had to have cost him at least a little bit in terms of his development because I think every second counts is, you know, he missed a year at a young age of not being able to play because of an ACL injury that basically wiped out the senior year of high school, wiped out the circuit that he would have been on in terms of all those, uh, you know, Jordan Brand classics and Adidas Nations tournaments and Nike EYBL and all of the things, you know, not that I'm sort of grass I'm not I'm no grassroots basketball authority by any stretch of the imagination but I mean I certainly at least you know I I I think there's for as much as everybody wants to trash it I I think that there's benefit that comes from being in 
on that stage and competing against those players who are your peers and who some of whom are going to you know be very good college players with you and then uh, a, a, another more even smaller select number are going to be good NBA players with you and I think not having a year to be in that atmosphere and compete against those guys I, I who knows how much that impacted his development but I, I think we're still just very much in a uh, in an embryonic stage of his career and I love what I've seen in terms of that he's grown this year, that the game isn't necessarily what it was for him last year, but he has taken this, you know, he hasn't decided I have to do things the way I did it last year. I mean, he's been willing to be uh, a blank slate, maybe. I mean, that might be a bit of an overstatement, but he's been willing to make adaptations to his game and not say, this is who I am, this is what I've got to be, this is the only way I can play. I know I, I love the fact that he's been willing to, uh, to the degree that he has, step outside of what his, what he thought his comfort zone was, and what he thinks his best game is, and is doing different things that are contributing more to winning than just putting up numbers. Numbers are nice, but winning is the best. That's the best number. Two guys come to mind that were probably in similar situations, um, where their team asked them to like redefine exactly what you are in the basketball court, like D'Angelo Russell. Sounds very akin to Dennis right now, and he decided not to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. got shipped, yeah. you know? And Moutier is kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, well, this is what you were rookie season. Let's try and fit you into this role, and they just never quite accepted it. Mm-hmm. And then you get moved before your rookie season's over. Yeah, or, uh, or your rookie contract's yeah. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Rookie yeah. contract's over. And for Dennis to just come in and say, okay, I know I have this athleticism. Uh, I know I have this skill set. How do I best use that now in this mm-hmm. context? Right. Whenever, because I mean, let's face it, Luca has probably two or okay, a hundred to two hundred more games playing at a high level than Dennis Smith Jr. does under his belt. Good point. You know yep. what I mean? Because of his European. Yeah, because Dennis yeah. missed a year, like you mentioned. He played one season at NC State, uh, which I would consider high level. I'm considering you know anything above high school, of high, high level basketball. And then Luca has you know a hundred, two hundred more games. Yeah under his belt and he's willingly going you know what I'm bringing the ball up fast I'm driving I'm simplifying my game and I'm going to give this team what they need and being the I think Rick calls it what the the head of the spear defensively because mm-hmm. he's the first guy that the ball contacts when it comes across the half court line right I I couldn't be more impressed with what Dennis has done over the last like 15 yeah. games I like it he I like it he always says defense is about want to mm-hmm. and I think Part of the that's part of the good thing about surrounding him with veterans, mm-hmm. Wes, DeAndre, JJ, Devin Harris, especially guys that are going to be in his ear about trying. And I think kind of the difference between Dennis and D'Angelo Russell and Moutier is those guys were in more potentially volatile situations mm-hmm. uh, on on teams whose priorities might have been a little different at uh-huh. the time. Um, but you see that archetype, and you're like, well, yeah, he's going to yeah, go no, down this road but, now. I mean, it's certainly not an environment that is where he's going to be surrounded by guys who have been there and done that. Mm. And so Dennis is trying way harder. Yeah. But he's also being encouraged way more to try harder by guys who know what it takes. And I like the, and I like the fact that he realizes that you should not any of these young players, you shouldn't have a definition of what you are at 19 or 20 years old in the league. I mean, you you may have a game and a style, but you should not you should certainly be open to any player open to you know, redefining what that is because we're all growing and changing as, I mean, players are growing and changing, people are growing and changing. I mean, everything, you know, you, you are evolving all the time. And if you're not, then, 
you know, I think that's, you know, typically if you're resistant to, you know, some, some different things, then I think that's usually pretty a bad idea and pretty bad sign. But especially given his relative young age to other guys that are on the floor and, and relative small amount of time to what you hope the length, you know, comparing to what the length of his career is going to be, that you've got to be open, I think, to redefining and changing some things along the way, I think. Uh, absolutely. And if his numbers resemble Russell Westbrook, it doesn't mean he will be Russell Westbrook. And if he is, great, because Westbrook is incredible. Mm-hmm. That would That's be awesome. kind of the – you hope that you can get an all-NBA player. How about that? Yeah. I was just, ha- I was just happy for him because the, the block in the game the other night was like, you know, he'd been climbing this ladder of in Houston. He was awesome defensively. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, he – Sealed a game for him on the defensive end. Yes. Guarding Against Tobias. Against six inches taller. Guarding an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is just something I had not envisioned Dennis doing mm-hmm. heading into this season. Yep. Um, I'm just proud of him. And I like the dude. He's a, such a good dude. Yep. Yep. He wants to be better. He's the most country person that you wouldn't expect his country. <laughs> yeah. I love – he was, awesome. he was like dissing Dorian after that game. Like just saying the most like uh, – just most country cut downs you could think of. He's like, he's like, what do he say? He's more like a he's terrier. He's, he's not like a pit bull. He's like yeah. my Cavalier King Charles he, yeah. Apollo. He, 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 <laughs> and he kept saying like, that's more fitting. That's more fitting. And I was like, that, that, that's the biggest cut down he could ever like make to him. I'm like, what kind of, what are we doing here? You're not a pit bull. I didn't, You're I didn't quite King get Charles. it. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, You're a poodle. Yeah. This SEC. Carolina on Florida hate to yeah. pop up that soon. <laughs> Not quite Nas's ether, but yeah. it's almost. It was funny. But, uh, yeah, all right. Follow. We'll let you get out of here. Thank Good you so see much you, man. for your time. I've enjoyed talking yeah, to you guys. Uh, Always a pleasure. Always, Always a pleasure. Oh, almost right down the table. <laughs> almost killed Man, him. don't do that. Hey, right. follow up. I wish right. you nothing but best. Nothing but best. Hey, man, nothing but best to you guys, too. Yeah, let's keep doing keep it. Moving keep forward. moving forward. Let's make it happen. The ceiling is the roof. Woo.